A reading from Genesis. Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely, and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her maid. When morning came, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Laban said, This is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, as a wife. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we find our beloved Jacob in the middle of yet another characteristic, typical predicament. Jacob has fallen head over heels in love with Rachel, who happens also to be his cousin, which is not unusual in biblical times. He asks his uncle Laban for permission to marry her. Laban says Jacob can marry Rachel if Jacob agrees to work for him for seven years. Jacob trusts Laban, agrees to the deal, And the two shake on it. After seven years of work, there's a huge wedding celebration, supposedly between Jacob and Rachel. However, in the morning, to Jacob's utter shock, he discovers Rachel's older sister Leah in his wedding bed. This is not so unbelievable as brides were completely veiled in biblical times. And outraged, Jacob confronts his uncle Laban, saying, I trusted you, and you tricked me. Laban defends himself, saying, I tricked you because it's not customary for the younger sister to marry before the older sister. However, you may take Rachel as a second wife if you agree to work for me for seven more years. Second wives were customary in biblical times. 
Jacob trusts Laban again, agrees to the deal, the two shake on it, and Rachel is given to Jacob as a second wife. And this is where our reading today ends. And we feel relieved that Jacob is vindicated. We feel that Jacob has been wronged. And at the end of our reading, he has received the justice that he deserves. But let's again remind ourselves of who we're dealing with here before we feel too awfully sorry for Jacob. Remember that Jacob swindled his brother Esau out of his birthright, which in biblical times was vital to the ordering of families. Remember that Jacob's father Isaac favored his brother Esau, and Jacob hated his brother for this, so much so that he tricked his dad into giving him the blessing that belonged to Esau transferring the power of the firstborn to Jacob, essentially making the older brother the slave to the younger brother. Jacob is a rich man's kid, a mama's boy, who spends his entire life looking for opportunities to better himself and increase his wealth. Never having received his father's favor, Jacob spends his life as a master liar, a cheater, a swindler. Today, however, if you have ever watched The Office, Michael Scott would say, my, how the turntables. Today, Jacob meets his match. Jacob is out jacob The tables have turned. And Jacob has been bested by his very own uncle. You could say it runs in the family. (laughs) Not that Jacob suffers too awful much. He gets two brides for the price of one because he skips town before he works off all of his time for Rachel, taking with him Laban's daughters, all of his grandchildren, most of his livestock, and even some stolen goods. Essentially, what today's double marriage does is set up yet another generation of mistrust and competition as now Leah and Rachel embark on this frantic and bizarre competition to see who can have more babies, even going so far as to drag their maids into the mess to have babies for them. The result is 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel and one daughter. Simply put, Jacob has taken as his wives the female equivalents of himself and his brother Esau. Just as those two brothers distrust each other, so too do the sisters Rachel and Leah. It all comes down to trust, or more accurately, it all comes down to the lack of trust. None of these people trust each other at all. Let's just look for a moment at the players in this story. Brothers and Jacob and Esau, as you know, don't trust each other. Jacob is a mama's boy. Esau is favored by his dad. They live their entire lives deceiving each other and competing for their dad's favor and ultimately God's favor. Jacob's wives, Rachel and Leah, don't trust each other either. Jacob favors Rachel. God favors Leah. They spend their entire lives competing for their husband's favor and for God's favor. 
Jacob distrusts his uncle Laban, and Laban doesn't trust Jacob either. They trick each other with everything from wives to livestock to contracts. When they finally part ways, Laban blesses his daughters and his grandchildren and returns home, but he withholds his blessing from Jacob. So, that's it then. At the heart of all of this scheming and mistrust lies the desire for favor, the craving to receive approval, the need to obtain the blessing. It's something we all seek. The human story in the Bible is generation after generation outmaneuvering, outswindling, outplotting each other, learning to exist in a world where trust can be bought for a price. Not so different from our world, really. Not only do we also struggle with whom to trust in our personal lives, we struggle to trust those in power as we see bans placed on those we once welcomed, as the health of millions lies in the balance, as we find vulnerable populations such as transgender servicemen and women again under fire, as we are dumbstruck to witness the denial of things such as climate change. It's difficult to trust our leadership and the words it uses, but just as Jacob was out-Jacobed, so too one day will Trump be out-Trumped. The tables always turn. While it might seem dismal to examine human history, both past and current, in light of human mistrust and the seeking of approval, there is beauty. And there is hope in the work that God is doing in the midst of this human mess. The story of Jacob reminds us that if you seek a blessing from a broken person, you will receive a broken blessing. You can spend your entire life chasing human approval and never get it. So maybe the story of Jacob focuses us on God's blessing, which is altogether different than human blessing. God's blessing is different from human blessing in that it is unconditional. All throughout the Bible, God blesses the unworthy, the broken, and the disobedient. God does not only bless those who are rich, white, and male. God also blesses the outcast, the migrant, the sick, the promiscuous, the single mother, the illegal alien, the brokenhearted. Heck, God even blesses Jacob before Jacob was even born. In Genesis 12, God tells Jacob's grandpa Abraham, through you, all families on earth will be blessed. So then, our beloved Jacob, we know you spend your entire life scheming and deceiving and tricking, all because you lacked your father's approval and his blessing. But listen to this, beloved Jacob. You don't need your father's approval or blessing because you have already received God's blessing before you were even born, before you grabbed your brother's heel 
and your fight to be firstborn, before you tricked your father on his deathbed, before you swindled your uncle out of his best livestock, God blessed you before you did any of these things, which is why we believe in infant baptism before that baby grows up to be a criminal or a hippie or a bum, before that baby grows up to be left-handed, dyslexic, gay, unconventional, or however else society might decide to alienate. We in the Lutheran Church baptize babies before that baby has a chance to protest why he or she might not be good enough to be loved by God. 500 years ago, Martin Luther changed things up a bit in the medieval Catholic Church. Call him a revolutionary, a reformer, a rogue, whatever. He worked to ensure that every single person could understand God's word in their own native language. That every single person could receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ for themselves. That every single person could sing praise in church using words and tunes that made sense. That babies were baptized because it worked, he said. That is to say they grow up to be saints. That is to say sinners who believe in a God who loves them when they are at their most filthy. Oh, and Luther did one more thing that we very often overlook. He added the benediction to the end of our Lutheran worship service. In other words, he added God's blessing to the end of our liturgy, the one that we use every single week to remind us that we have already received the only blessing that matters, and he should know as one who daily remembered his own father's disappointment that he did not become a lawyer. Every service we end with the blessing, the benediction. You don't have to spend your life chasing a blessing or craving approval that you'll never get because you've already received it from God. What a relief then to be released from this evil human cycle of trust and distrust and approval and disapproval. We all get to come clean and say, I have offended you, God. I have participated in sin, which caused you to offer your son as a sacrifice, which is the ultimate sign of your love and forgiveness. I'm why Jesus died, but I'm also why Jesus lives. What release for Jacob from a father who will never bless him. What release for Leah from a husband who will never love her? What release for Rachel from a sister who will never make peace from her? What a release for those of us who seek human approval and never get it. We've already received it. Grace upon grace. The blessing that we receive at the end of worship is God's blessing, not mine, not Luther's. I don't get to bless some and not others. I don't get to withhold the blessing from ones I despise. It's God's blessing poured out on all people, criminal and pious and those in between, rich and poor and those in between, liberal and conservative and those in between, gay and straight and those in between, male and female and those in between, scheming and upright, and those in between. Jacob, you may not have earned your father's favor, and you may have wrongfully stolen his blessing, and maybe you don't trust anyone, but 
you can trust in God and you can receive his blessing. You have not earned it by being trustworthy or even obedient. God does not bless you because you've been a good boy, Jacob. God blesses you because God chooses to bless you. And the same is true for you. God blesses you even before you were born. God's blessing is not earned. You know that. You're Lutherans. You don't need to swindle or trick God into blessing you in your world where tables always turn. And when you don't know whom to trust and all of the things that shift and change, God's love is unchanging. God's commitment to the human race, the human story, to you, is unswerving. We wrong and we swindle and we deceive all the time. And God responds with benediction. That is to say, the forever state of being blessed. God's is the only blessing you will ever need. And rest assured, you have already received it. Amen.